Welcome to the Highway Hi-Fi Podcast, where we scour our vinyl collections to bring you great songs by unknown artists and unknown songs by great artists. I'm Joe. I'm Ryan, and we're glad you're here today. we got some amazing material to share with you. It might be the best podcast you've ever listened to in your whole life. It might not, <laughs> but it may be. As always, we'd like to start with some brain exercise for all you music nerds out there. It's time for Trivia. I am up first. My trivia round is... I just can never think of clever names like you can. Uh, so uh, this is basically... I'm just going to tell you what it is. You can always come back later and come up with a title. Okay, I'll think of a better name. What you have to do in this quiz, I'm going to give you two albums, and you need to tell me which one was released first. Ooh, okay. All right. Two okay. albums, and which one was released first? Which one was released first? Okay, seems simple. Straightforward. Right? Right? Okay. Here we go. Number one, Blood yeah. on the Tracks or Born to Run? Blood on the Tracks. Correct. 74. Born okay. to Run was 1975. Next one is PJ Harvey's first album, Dry, or Liz Baer's first album, Exile in Guyville. Dry. Yes, by one year, 92 to 93. Ooh, this is hard. Okay, <laughs> Next. Nevermind by Nirvana or 10 by Pearl Jam? Nevermind. N- no. Oh, man. By less than a month, Pearl Jam. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. So Pearl Jam released 10 on August 27th of 91. Nevermind came out in uh, September 24th, on September 24th of 1991. Yeah, I listened to both of those records a lot when I was 12. There you go. 13. <laughs> Next one is Pixies Doolittle or Sonic Youth. Goo. I think Goo. Doolittle by one uh, by about a year, eighty nine to ninety. <laughs> Velvet Underground's Loaded or Pink Floyd Metal. Loaded was seventy. Metal. I, I think Loaded was first. Yep, seventy. Like you said, uh, Metal was seventy one. All right. Okay, here's here's a good one. Although I think they're all good. <laughs> David Bowie's Lodger or Joy Division Closer. I want to say Lodger was. 79 and closer was 80. So I'm going to say Lodger. Perfect. Yep. Was, I, was I right yep. on the dates? Yeah, you were years? You were right on the year. And I was going to pick Unknown Pleasures, but I was worried that because it was released 79 in the UK and it might have been later, I just didn't want to screw things yeah, up. Yeah, I so, would technically yeah. that would have confused me. So I appreciate that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Village Green Preservation Society or okay. the Stooges debut album? Oh, that's, that's a good question. Thank you. The Stooges? No. Oh. I thought at first you were asking me who they were. It was by one day, right? Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> Village Green was 68, Stooges 69. Okay. Viva Last Blues by Palace or Wowie Zowie by Pavement? Wowie Zowie? Correct. All right. Wowie Zowie was April 11th of 95 and Viva Last Blues was August 21st. I think we should try to work in that we can say Wowie Zowie a few more times on this podcast. Wow. <laughs> People are not going to understand that, but that was a lot of editing. That's all I have. I, I did pretty good on that. I think you've got almost every single one of them. You I missed, missed uh, Pearl Jam because it was released two days before. You did. Time. You missed Goo and Pearl Jam? All right. It is time for my audio quiz for you. All right. This is a pretty straightforward quiz. Yeah, it's not really that straightforward. It's a little complicated. Your job, they're all covers, okay, but there is a kind of a theme that goes with the covers. You need to tell me who's performing the song, what's the name of the song, and who originally did the song. How right. many? How many are there? Okay. All right. Here we go. Track one. 
I confronted her about it. I said, I'm the most illegible bachelor in town. And she said, yeah, that's why I can never understand any of those silly letters you send me. And then one day it happened. She cut her hair and I stopped loving her. Track two. Street. Running to meet the popsicle truck. And all of a sudden you got to turn around and say, wow, I'll be glad when this cat gets here. Gets here. Gets here. Gets here. All these changes I'm going through. Back home again, baby. Track three. Yeah, it, it, it's your party. I, I know that it's your party. And, and you, you know, you can cry. You can cry anytime you want to. You know, it's cool. Uh, but you have to remember that I, I too, have cried my nice six tears. And it's just something that we all have to go through at some time or another. And, you know, it would be unfair and it would be untrue if, if I was to say to you that we couldn't get much higher. Track four. Yeah. Well, I don't mind telling you that, you know, their replies in my conversation, it came as a big surprise to me, and I really did. Yeah, it came as a big surprise. Yeah, boss. Well, you know, to put you in a picture where I was, uh, we were having a conversation, you know, and I just, I just sort of, I just sort of dropped it out, you know. Milton Pat Thieves Wild cord a mass leave Thick Heart stone My sins my own They belong to me Me all right and that was my quiz and like i said that was maybe a little bit more convoluted than i like to be but i'm okay with that it's not more than you like to be it's uh it was actually less than you like to be <laughs> you're pretty uh pretty brutal with these uh yes yeah, it's, it's kind of my uh my thing i guess all right well that's our trivia so uh we'll come back and give you the answers to my um complicated quiz Later, uh, I think it's time for Turntable Talk. Everybody's talking at me. I don't hear a word they're saying. Only the echoes of my mind. All right, my Turntable Talk today is about the 33 and the third book series. If you're not already uh, familiar with these, it is a book series that focuses on one album per book. Pretty short books, generally. Very few of them, maybe only a couple or over 200 pages. Most are about 150 pages or right around there. The really interesting thing about these books, I think, is that each one is written by a fan of some sort, from some field. They're not necessarily writers. Some are, some aren't. Uh, they can be scientists or uh, the one that I read most recently was by someone who I think she was, uh, she went to MIT. Uh, so she's Probably a lot smarter than I am, and, and her field is clearly not writing, but she was a very good writer for this. You submit what book you want to read or write about. You then uh, submit also an idea of how you want to approach this, and, and there's probably some more guidelines now, now that it's gotten a little bit bigger. But anybody can do it. Anybody could be picked. The book series started in 2003 by someone named David Barker. He started by working first on collections that focused on, he was publishing books about books. So there would be a book about a specific 
a specific book, uh, like White Noise, for example. And then he changed it over to albums. Thought this would be a good idea, and it, it basically took off. At first, it started with him just contacting friends who he thought might want to write about albums. As this started going, some people said yes, some said no. But his email over the next like 18 months just started getting inundated. He was getting at least an email a day, if not a lot more, with people that wanted to do this. And so he kind of put out an open call to people who wanted to submit ideas, and it it just boomed from there. That it's inc- so cool. it's incredible. Uh, the books just totally vary, not only in quality, uh, sometimes in quality, which would just happen, but in style also, because it's different for each one. And at first it seemed like it was going to focus a lot on just kind of classic albums, but now it's just pretty much any album that somebody is incredibly enthusiastic about and pitches a really good idea for, a really interesting idea, that could get made. Again, there are about 150, and they're already through planning for the 2018. So it's really taken off. I think the one of the submission years they did, they did a call. By the time they ended the call for submissions, they had 500, and they whittled it down to about 18. Did they actually, were there 500, like, entries, or were there 500, yeah. like, pitches? Proposals? I think 500 proposals. So it could have been the same album over and over. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, it's fantastic. I think some of the great thing of things about this is, Unlike a standard biography, the writer is always sincerely enthusiastic in some way about the album, regardless of how they approach it. Some people are approaching it kind of doing a very factual song-by-song structure, what instruments were used, whereas other people are using completely like fictional narratives about people listening to albums and how they affected them. And always, no matter what, by the end of the book, it's always about how music affects you whether it's a specific album or not, at the end, that's what you're left with. And that's what's really fantastic. It's an infectious enthusiasm that everybody can feel. And you can read any book, any of these, and whether you like the, the album or not, it's a it's a book. If it's well-written um, and it captures your attention, it doesn't matter whether you like the book. You're, you're, going to learn a, you're going to learn about it and you're going to enjoy reading some. The books that I have read, the most recent one was Brian Eno's Before and After Science, and it was absolutely wonderful. The woman who wrote it, Gita, I can't remember her last name, fortunately, but I will I will look that up. Uh, the book is really great. That album came out in uh, 1975, and what she does, she covers how the album was recorded, which is really interesting because I guess Eno was very, very fun in the studio. He might still be, even though he seems kind of serious. What he would do is he would have people come in. Um, he would hire different people like Robert Fripp, John Cale, people who have very different sensibilities. He wouldn't have them come into the studio together very often. He would have, like, one person would come in and they would play their instrument. But before they played an instrument, Eno would say something like, pretend you're a mass murderer or something, not that specifically, <laughs> but and start the song off like that. Um, and then they would just play a few notes and he would say, repeat that. And they would just play a note over and over and over again. And Eno, with, because he has such an incredible ear and such incredible taste, he would find the few notes that were perfect and he would put them on the album and then he would put other things on top of it. And it, it's uh, absolutely wonderful. And that book also goes into a lot of discrete music because that came out the same year. Yeah. And she even talks about his uh, Eno's recollection of how he sort of created ambient music or how it came to him. He was, while recording, or while finishing up, I think wrapping up Before and After Science, he was in an accident. He had hit by a car. And while he was in the hospital, a friend of his, a, a woman who was sometimes, I think, his girlfriend, came in and brought a cassette of some classical music, some Baroque music that neither of them really generally care for. I think it was uh, violin music or something. 
she put the cassette in and she started playing it and there was something wrong with the tape player and it was just playing very quietly and had this weird sound and Brian Eno just wondered it just everything matched up with the environment uh the sounds outside this kind of white noise sound in the background and he thought why isn't kind of the there general hospital sounds like yeah hum, yeah hum or yeah why isn't there music like this and so crazy then all of a sudden there was Wow, it's a really cool story. Yeah, I we were talking about this a little bit before, but I read several of them, and they're really nice because when I read them, my wife was working in the bookstore, and I, sometimes I would get there an hour before she was able to leave, so I'd just kind of pick up a book like at the library and just kind of read it in the chair while I was waiting for her. And I think there's a couple times where I could finish these in, a, in an hour or yep. an hour or two. I've read a few of them. The one I remember the most, I think, was The Replacements. I think it was Let It Be. It might have been Tim. I think it was Let It Be. It's been a decade since I yeah, read it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was written by the lead singer of The Decemberist, Colin Malloy. Colin Malloy, yep. Yeah, and it was, I want to say it was more of a, a biography, and but it was kind of like him as a kid, how he got into music. And I remember he had a cool uncle or a cool liberal <laughs> or something that would like slip him tapes, and he got obsessed with it. And I think you can relate to that kind of like musical session because we all have those albums that we love, and when we listen to them, they bring us back to someplace or it takes us somewhere else yep. and i don't know i mean that's cool that there's fiction you know i know yeah. you can write it as fiction you could write it as a biography you could write it as a documentary style to be so open but still have that great structure I think. yep it's like when you hear an album and all you want to do is tell everyone you know about it uh you can do that through this if you get accepted or you can write a book about it and you can do it in any way like ryan was saying and there are some pretty well-known people doing these like jonathan letham is probably the biggest name great writer he did one john darneal who I'm now pronouncing his last name correctly, did one on Black Sabbath. I think it was Masters of Reality. Joe Pernice of the Pernice Brothers did one. Also, I think, fairly fictional. Colin Malloy, try and mention this. Somebody named Warren Yates, who has written biographies on, on other people. I think I think he did the Tom Petty one. There are a lot of real writers, whether they're songwriters or, or authors in some cases. And then the really great thing, I think, are the ones that are written by just yeah. genuine fans. And those are the ones you should really seek out. The ones by writers are good, but you're, you already probably know they're going to be good. These are great writers. And read them. But the ones by fans, I think it's it's very impressive how um, impassioned people are about these. About they, got, they got a great a aesthetic, too. Like, if you get several of them, they got the same. They're, they're little tiny books. I think they're like four by six or yeah. something, maybe a little bit. And then you line them up, and they all have the 33 and a third, but they're kind of different colors based on the album cover and stuff like that. So I got a uh, top question for you. If you were to write one, what album would you write it on? I don't know if I would really be able to narrow it down too much. Just so many options out there. Off the top of your head, first one that comes to you. Oh, first wow. one that came to my mind was probably Blonde on Blonde. But I know Highway 61 has already been done, so I might move to a Tom Waits, like, Rain Dogs or Bone Machine, or a Nick Cave, like, maybe Let Love In. Okay, that would be a good one. I think, oh, I think those would be pretty fun. Maybe sometime, yeah, thousands of adoring fans will have a, a contest and we'll, we'll send the best one into them. Yeah, so we, we will do everything we can to help you get published. We wow. promise. If you have never read one, just go pick one up. They're, they're yeah, a lot of fun. I'm sure they're at libraries. Most bookstores have some. Amazon has them all, and you can get them on Kindle if you want to. Uh, and again, don't, like, don't get too um, hung up on whether it's an album you personally like or not. Because yep, sometimes exactly. I think they can influence how you might feel about the album. You know, I think it's it's a great... If you're listening to this podcast, you probably like talking about music or listening to music or listening to people talk about music, and that is right in the wheelhouse. If you're listening, you've made it this far in this podcast... 
you probably need to get some first of those. Now, I personally read a ton of uh, music biographies, especially lately. And every time I start reading one, while I'm going through the book, I'm pulling out albums, the albums that they're talking about, and the songs they're talking about. And this is just a way to do that, too. It's going to make you want to listen to albums that maybe you've forgotten about for a while that because you can read how much somebody else loves it, and you might go back and, and enjoy it yourself, or you may pick up an album that you weren't really all that familiar with. That's what I had for you today. I think now we can move on to uh, into our songs. song today. This is a man from New Jersey that you might have heard of before. His name is Bruce Springsteen, and the song is called Seeds. So I'm going to play that for you right now. One, two, three,
All right, that was Seeds by the boss himself, Mr. Bruce Springsteen. The boss likes it when you pronounce his name right. That was from a box set of albums collected, five LP mm-hmm. box set, uh, Live uh, 7585. And that song is just awesome. <laughs> it is, it is, a, it is a, a song that I have no idea how that did not end up on an album. Yeah, there's a... There's a chance that there's a studio recording of it, and maybe it makes it onto an outlet or an outtake release at some point. But I don't know if there if there is one or not. I guess I don't go yeah. through Bruce Springsteen forums all that much. So. And as I, I was researching the song, there's not a ton of information about it. It was an outtake from the Born in the USA sessions, or it was written for Born in the USA. I don't, like Joe said, I don't know if there's an outtake or not of a studio, but he played it live a lot. And when he would play it in his shows, it would always be played around the time he played Born in the USA. It's kind of that that working man's tragedy part of his show. And this song fits so good with that. It's a guy that goes down to Texas to, to make money in the oil industry. And it dries up. And he's on the streets with his family, living in his car. And the policeman tells him to move around. I mean, it's it's such a sad content. But it's so rocking and uplifting and kind of great driving beat. And I don't think there's anybody that did that as well as Bruce Springsteen, which had such sorrowful content in the lyrics, but the song made you feel so good. <laughs> so I could even see that. Like, there were some Born in the USA tracks that were originally recorded for Nebraska, just kind of him sitting there doing it, that maybe this was one of those. I don't know. I have no information yeah. on that at all, but it seems like a song that he could have done that way and it would have been incredible successful too and really really great lyrically it is closer to nebraska i think i think um, so too but again it's so crazy that nebraska now takes nebraska turned into born in the usa only two albums that sonically are so far apart but really lyrically are pretty close yeah so um anyways it's it's a fantastic song it's something that maybe not every bruce springsteen fan has heard or you know if you're not a big bruce springsteen fan you might not have heard but thought it was worth giving a spin my first song is by an artist named Steve Young, not the USFL star. Uh, this is a country music singer and guitarist who originally was kind of around, I think, mostly in the 70s. He was part of the, the outlaw movement, outlaw country movement from Texas. He was hung out with a lot of them, a lot of those guys. And he is mostly known for being the writer and first performer of Lonesome, Ornery, and Mean. Uh, he also did Seven Bridges Road, which, which ended up being a hit too, but not for him. He is an incredibly great writer, or was an incredibly talented, gifted writer. But the song that I'm going to play for you is actually not a song that he wrote. It's called Rock, Salt, and Nails. And just know, I already am very aware how misogynistic it is. the banks of the river where the willows grow and the wild birds wobble the strange sound so by the banks of Told. 
That song, again, is Rock, Salt, and Nails. It's from the album of the same title from 1969 on A&M Records. It's a horribly cruel song to women at the end because he wants to basically stone them with rocks um, and salt for some reason. But the song sounds great. Uh, I've got another version of that with Waylon Jennings and Lee Hazelwood duetting on that, duetting on that song. It's also very good. Steve Young should should have gotten a lot more credit than he ever did. He's got a good voice. He wrote amazing songs. I just don't really know what happened and why he didn't make it big. But he ended up making some pretty decent money off of the Eagles cover of Seven Bridges Road, Waylon covering Lonesome Ornery Meme, and even Van Dyke Parks wrote a song about him. That oh I can't I wish I could remember the name of that one but he wrote a song about him that I think ended up on that song cycle yes yes thank you that's Steve Young you should check him out if you can just those, especially those first few albums uh, Rock Salt and Nails and then Seven Bridges Road those are really good uh, Seven Bridges Road was 1970 kind of like associated with outlaw country a little bit and... yep I think he hung out with a lot of those guys Towns Van Zandt kind of kind of characters Willie Nelson that kind of stuff Guy Clark probably. And uh, it's a good representation of what the Eagles were good for, which was covering songs of better artists and helping them live a little bit so they can write some more songs. Because they did that with him, they did that with Tom Waits Tom earlier Waits, yeah. on. Isn't there another cover they did? Was well, I thought it was just, uh, as far as I know, Old 55 and Seven Bridges Road, but they probably did before they went on to destroy music entirely with Hotel California. Yep. And that was the end of the world. Yep. My week's favorite song of all time, just if you're ever <laughs> Right. All right. What you got for your other song? Okay. My next song, I was just talking about Lee Hazelwood. My next song has Lee Hazelwood singing on it, but it's by a woman named Anne Kristen Hedmark, who's a Swedish singer. Uh, And I'm going to go ahead and play that now. (laughs) 
That was Anne Kristen Hedmark and Lee Hazelwood doing a song called Old Milwaukee. Now, it was released on her album. It's in Swedish, the name of the album is. So I'm going to totally butcher this, but you might not even know that. And Salsam Song is what I think it may be titled. And it was the album was released in 78, but I think they actually recorded the song around 74, 75. Uh, there was a single of it that came out about that time, I think. And it was Old Milwaukee on one side and Please Come to Boston on the other. And both were with Lee Hazelwood. On that same album, they did a Bob Dylan song, I'll Be Your Baby Tonight, but it's almost all in Swedish. She sings only in Swedish. He does one line in Swedish. And then, as he's known to do on a lot of his songs, he's, he makes a little joke saying, I am never going to sing in Swedish again or something something to that, <laughs> that effect. Uh, there is very little information online about Anne Kristen Hedmark. Don't know how they got together. I've actually even emailed people at Light in the Attic because they do a lot of Lee Hazelwood stuff, and I didn't get a response. Generally, they're very, very good about responding to questions, by the way. Uh, how did you find this record? I think I saw it at a record store probably 15 or 16 years ago. Um, it was super cheap, and I was just I thought the cover looked great. Very pretty cover. And then I turned it over, and it looked, and I saw that Lee Hazelwood was on three of the songs. That's and so I got it. Super awesome. inexpensive. Uh, for me at the time, anyway. I don't know what it's going for now. It looks like... Oh, actually, uh, I just pulled up Discogs. It's still really inexpensive. Um, you can get it for about $5. I don't know if you'd have to pay for shipping from overseas, but yeah, maybe. Yeah. But it's really inexpensive, and it's it's really good. Those three songs are really good. The rest of it is only really good if you like kind of jazzy vocals in Swedish, which I, I don't. I do I not. do. Oh, wait, no. Okay. No. no. Jazzy Swedish vocals. That's it's probably, like... There's probably a little subset. Yeah, it would be like... Um, Trying to think of a good Swedish band. Abba. I can't even think of Abba. 
Ace of Base played at... So if Ace of Base were played at, like, 5 RP. Is it 45 or 33 and a third? 33 and a third. Okay. Okay. So not so terrible. But anyway, that's that's my second song. I mentioned Lee Hazelwood a couple times, so that actually would be a good 33 and a third book series. Would be Lee Hazelwood's 13 or Cowboy in Sweden, I think. Maybe 13. You know, or uh, Requiem, because it's such a great, like, breakup album. It's like Blood on the Tracks. Has anybody done the, the Link Ray self-titled one? Nope. All right. No. Nope. I'm, I'm laying claim to that. Okay. Yeah, Somebody help me write this. Just kidding. <laughs> All right, I guess it's time for uh, my final song and the final song of this episode. This is a weird one, and actually it's a twofer. Uh, I'm going to play the A-side and the B-side linked together. They kind of go together. This is somebody that, unless you've heard this, you don't know him and you never will. There's not a lot of information about him on the internet, but I'll tell you what I do know in just a second. This is Jonathan Halper, and his song is, well, two songs are Leaving This Old Life Behind and I Am a Hermit.
experimental short film by Kenneth Anger called Fuse Moment. And the short film was actually first recorded in 1949. It's from an unfinished short film called Fuse Women. And it's a six-minute film. And in 49, Kenneth Anger actually used some music from a Verde opera. And he decided to re-release it in the 60s with kind of a psychedelic folk soundtrack that was performed by this guy, Jonathan Halper. Nobody knows anything about him. As far as I can tell, there's people, crazy people on the internet say that he was a Scottish singer who used to play asylums. Um, People say it was a pseudonym for John Lennon. People say it was all sorts of things. I don't think anybody really knows, Uh, at least not that I've seen. It's made the round on music blogs. I think the first time it got really, really big was on uh, WFMU's Beware of the Blog, which is a great website, a great source of music, and and they have all sorts of fun stuff and weird stuff. And the song has some notoriety. It was covered by Franz Ferdinand. The songs, I should say. Leaving This Old Life Behind was covered by Franz Ferdinand. But these songs are just great. The best place to see it is on YouTube. You can see the actual film, which has this beautiful, long-lashed woman. She's played by Yvonne Marquise, and she dresses in purple gowns and walks and applies perfume, and she lies in the Shea Lounge and has these flapper dresses kind of uh, moving around, and it's, it's a very interesting, cool film, but the soundtrack just pushes it over. 
It's got such a, a weird feel. It's kind of breezy, but it's got some backward stuff, which, you know, we love backward stuff. Like I said, there's not really a ton of information, but I do think these two songs, back-to-back, -back, just create such a cool, ethereal soundtrack. And they're two songs, if you haven't heard, they're, they're really cool. They're kind of out of nowhere, and they kind of come into your world, blow your mind. Another fun fact is the lady, and I'm going to link the YouTube clip of the film. You should watch it. It will have, have the music. But the lady, the Yvonne Marquise, who apparently was Anger's cousin, she moved to Mexico after the film was made and was the mistress to Lorenzo Cardenas, who was the former president of Mexico. That's pretty great. Yeah. Like that. A, little, a little bit of extra trivia for you. Yeah. It's an awesome couple songs. Uh, they're weird and they're beautiful and enjoy them. All right, we got one piece of unfinished business. We do. All right, we got to, um, we're going to go ahead and play my songs again. And okay. remember, your job was to, they were all covers. Your job mm -hmm. was to, A, mm -hmm. who was performing? B, the name of the song or songs that were covered. Three, the name of the artist who originally did the song that was being covered. And there is kind of a theme. It's kind of a loose theme, but I'll let you guess the theme anyways. All right, let me go through the five tracks one more time. Track one. confronted her about it. I said, I'm the most illegible bachelor in town. And she said, yeah, that's why I can never understand any of those silly letters you send me. And then one day it happened. She cut her hair and I stopped loving her. Track two. Running to meet the popsicle truck. And all of a sudden you got to turn around and say, wow, I'll be glad when this cat gets here. Gets here. All these changes I'm going through. Back home again, baby. Track three. Yeah, it, it, it's your party. I, I know that it's your party. And, and you, you know, you can cry. You can cry anytime you want. It's cool. Uh, but you have to remember that I, I too have cried my nice six tears. And it's just something that we all had to go through at some time or another. And, you know, it would be unfair, it would be untrue if, if I was to say to you that you couldn't get much higher. Track four. Yeah. Well, I don't mind telling you that, you know, their replies in my conversation, it came as a big surprise to me, and I really did. Yeah, it came as a big surprise. Yeah, boss. Well, you know, to put you in a picture where I was, uh, we were having a conversation, you know, and I just, I just sort of, I just sort of dropped it out, you know. Track five. Track five. Beware. All right, Joe, do you have any guesses for this? I think there's a couple you okay. should know. So track one is Billy Bragg with Walk Away Renee. Absolutely. By yeah. Small Faces? Left right? No, Left Bang. Oh, yep, shoot. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Very I've, done that. I've done that before. Yeah. Okay. Track two, Baby Huey. Very good. Is it Very a change good. is going to come? Absolutely. Sam Cooke? Sam Cooke. And that song, I've thought about playing that for one of my, my tracks. It is an awesome song. It sounds 
at times so much like a Prince song. He has this amazing voice and he's got a great story. Yeah. But absolutely, as Baby Huey's Change is going to come, and that is a cover of uh, Sam Cooke's song. Very good. Number three? Track three, I don't know. I mean, I heard the words 96 Tears, and there was a little bit at the end of the song that sounded real, just a couple lines that sounded really familiar to me, but I can't place that one. The name of the song is Hitler Was a Vegetarian. Okay. It's by a band called The Residents. Oh, okay, okay. So, um, you, which of their albums? I don't remember. I should know. I looked it up when I first did it, but I don't know. Uh, it's a weird song. Of course, the residents are the they're most known for wearing eyeballs on their on their San Francisco band. Ass. They're very experimental, but really cool. Lots of music. This had the whole song is like nine minutes, and it has pieces of different songs. Okay, that's why. Okay. So you're correct. There's a little bit of "It's My Party." Okay. There's a little bit of "96 Tears," mm-hmm. and there's a little bit of "Light My Fire." Okay. So if you would have, and you you got a couple of them, and again that was probably cruelly uh, hard. I'm gonna give you points because you did you at one point you said 96 tears and you also said light my fire, so you're getting it. Track four. Track four. I don't know. I think you have this record. Okay. That is one of my favorite bands, Dexy's Midnight Runners. Okay. Which I've talked about before. Mm-hmm. The name of the song, which is on the album Don't Stand Me Down, is one of those things and or one of these things. And you did when you were listening to, it, I heard you say Werewolves of London. It, it is. It's a Werewolves of London cover, sort of. Okay, it had the beat. It had the back, the background music of Werewolves of London, but it didn't have, it didn't have all the lyrics, I didn't think. I didn't huh. think those were correct. That is interesting. But maybe you should come back to that in a minute. Yeah. Okay, and the last song? Patti Smith, Gloria, by them. Yes. Okay. All right. Very good. You got most of them. I think you were touching on the theme. Let's see if you can get a theme. They're all covers. Mm-hmm. They're not all spelling ones. They all have talking in them. Yep. Okay. That's more or less it. They all have talking that is not directly related to the previous cover. Like, they're all changes from the cover. It's basically like talking parts that are not originally in the cover. Okay. So Glory has that kind of... They had a monologue. Yeah. The monologue... Yes. Monologue covers. (laughs) So Glory has that part in the beginning. Dexy's Midnight Runners, they never even touch on where was London, but they did give Warren Zevon credit. And he's just talking throughout. The residents, they, they're talking through about the three covers. Baby Huey has this long, weird monologue at the end. And Billy Bragg, he never sings anything about Walk Away Renee. He just kind of talks through it all. Very good. I like that one. That was, re- that was really I good. Thought, I thought they were kind of fun songs. Yeah. That was, yeah. Uh, wasn't as unfair as you normally are. I like that. Yeah. Very good. That's our show. Uh, remember to go out, buy records, go to record shops, uh, support bands and shows. Just... Uh, Support the people who make music and get us music. It's important to to everybody. We'll see you next time. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett.
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.